The following is a presentation of the Georgia Southern Sports Network. Powered by Learfield. Welcome to Inside Eagle Nation, your official podcast for Georgia Southern Athletics. Fantrice's debut continues to impress. Four touchdown passes has just tied a Georgia Southern school record. It is 44-7. Inside Eagle Nation is brought to you by Morris Bank. It pays to bank blue. Bud Light. Responsibility has its rewards. Enjoy responsibly. And by Savannah Hilton Head International Airport. Shot fake to get around Anderson. Lane, there's another highlight reel dunk. Check the rim and check the bolts. He almost ripped it off the backboard. It's a game-by-game thing with Kamari Brown. Eagles fans, this is your all-access pass to all things true blue. It's time to take you inside Eagle Nation. And as Coach Russell will say, you ain't seen nothing yet. And now, here's your host, the voice of the Eagles, Danny Reed. Eagle Nation, it's great to see you again. Welcome to an all-new episode of the Inside Eagle Nation podcast, and there is a lot to cover in this episode. 216 will feature an interview with new baseball hitting coach Cody Walford back in Statesboro after spending two years at Eastern Kentucky. We've got a lot of basketball and a lot of football to talk about as well, and we're also less than a month away from the spring sports season. With baseball and softball about to begin, practices have started, renovations are currently taking place over at softball, and we know that fundraising is actively taking place for Georgia Southern Baseball. Get your season tickets now by visiting gseagles.com or call 1-800-GSU-WINS for what should be a very enjoyable spring for Georgia Southern Baseball and softball. Also three weeks away from the start of golf season with the men at the Sharky Invitational right here in Statesboro and the women heading down to Boca Raton as part of the FAU Invitational. But this week starts out with a trip that we have previewed for what seems like a couple of months now, but women's rifle finally got a chance to head more than 4,000 miles away to Fairbanks, Alaska for a two-day event. Day one taking place at the Tana Valley Sportsman's Association range against number two Alaska Fairbanks, number three Kentucky, and number five West Virginia. And day one went rather well for the Eagles, posting their second highest air rifle score in school history with a 23.57 and their third highest aggregate score with a 46.58. Lily Herring set a career high in the air rifle and the aggregate, while Gabby Morrow also set a career high in the aggregate. Day two was a single meet against Kentucky at the UAF Patty Center, while Lily Herring set a career high this time in the small bore. Bella Gamez tied her career high in the small bore, and Anna Mayo tied career marks in air rifle, small bore, and aggregate. We'll talk with Soren Butler coming up soon about the trip and if they can provide any recommendations to Eagle Nation should they ever make a trip up to the last frontier. They'll continue their schedule this Sunday over at the Shooting Sports Education Center, 8 a.m. meet against the Citadel. Swimming and diving had its first meet of the spring. Five first-place finishes over the weekend against UNC Asheville, led by Carly Wells. She finished first in the one-meter and three-meter dive. Eagles also posting team first-place finishes in the 400- and 200-meter medleys, and Emma Scruggs took first place in the 200-meter backstroke. They'll have a duel next Saturday, hosting North Florida and East Carolina over at the Aquatic Center at the Rack. 
Meanwhile, former Eagles in the NFL with the postseason having started last weekend. Congratulations to the Cincinnati Bengals and Raymond Johnson III and Tyler Bass's Buffalo Bills. By virtue of holding home serve, they'll face each other this Sunday as Cincinnati visits Buffalo. Also, Matt Breida's New York Giants going on the road and picking up an upset victory against the Minnesota Vikings. Their reward is taking on divisional rival Philadelphia on Saturday. And of course, Jarek McKinnon of the Kansas City Chiefs well-rested. They received a first round bye. They'll get the Cinderella Jacksonville Jaguars on Saturday out at Arrowhead Stadium. Personnel-wise for Eagle football, we'd like to take this opportunity to congratulate Marcus Davis, Richard Owens, and Matt Merritt for their contributions during the 2021 season and for accepting new positions just over these last few weeks. Matt Merritt heading to be the running backs coach at South Florida, while the final two going back to their respective alma maters. Marcus Davis will be the wideouts coach at Auburn, and Richard Owens will coach the offensive line at Louisville. One of those vacancies was filled within the last week. B.J. Johnson coming back to Statesboro. Record-setting receiver from 2013 through 2016 will coach the wide receivers at Georgia Southern for the 2023 season. He is apprenticed at Colorado Texas Tech, spent last year at Gardner-Webb with an outstanding passing game, leading the running Bulldogs to their first Big South championship. But B.J. sees all roads lead back to Statesboro, and we are so excited to have him back as part of Clay Helton's staff. On the hardwood, Georgia Southern women's basketball was at home all weekend, taking an 11-2 record and a 3-1 conference record into a Thursday matchup against Old Dominion. But the Monarchs got the better of the Eagles on Thursday night, 84-82 in overtime, despite 20 points from Taryn Ward and a 9-10 performance from Lydia Freeman. And despite the game being nip and tuck throughout, 13 ties and 7 lead changes, Old Dominion with a decisive edge on the glass, including 25 offensive rebounds. Eagles had a chance to bounce back on Saturday, but Appalachian State put together a 12 to nothing run in the fourth quarter, and that led the Mountaineers to a 96-88 victory, dropping Georgia Southern's record to 11-4 overall, tasting defeat in back-to-back games for the first time all season, and 3-3 in conference play. Taryn Ward flirting with a triple-double. She had 25 points, 14 rebounds, 7 assists, while Eden Johnson also posted a double-double with 15 points and 11 boards. Women's basketball will be on the road all weekend, Thursday, 7 o'clock in Harrisonburg, Virginia at James Madison, and then Saturday afternoon at Fan Ewing Coliseum, 3 p.m. tip-off against ULM. Georgia Southern men's basketball going into last weekend's road trip tied for first in conference play. Well, they would still be tied for first at weekend's conclusion, but many other teams got involved. We'll get to that in just a second. First up, rivalry matchup in Boone Thursday night against Appalachian State. App got hot early, beginning the game 8 for 11 from the field, built a 30 to 19 lead, only to see Georgia Southern come back to tie the game at the half, take the lead early in the second half, and force App to miss each of its final 11 tries from three-point territory. Even so, the Mountaineers got a jumper from Donovan Gregory with five seconds left to tie the game at 65, but leave it to fifth-year senior Jalen Finch to do it all on his own. Picked up the inbounds pass short of half court, weaved into the front court, found the space on the right wing, drove to the lane, and made the buzzer-beating layup to give Georgia Southern a 67-65 win on the mountaintop, improving their conference record to 4-1 on the season. It marked Georgia Southern's first buzzer beater nearly three years ago to the day when Quan Jackson's three beat ULM at Hanner Fieldhouse, and it was the first time the Eagles had posted a buzzer beater on the road since Jelani Hewitt at Chattanooga in January 2012. Brian Berg joined us on the Ford Locker Room Wrap 
wrap-up to talk about the significance of that kind of victory, seeing his team fight back from double digits down for the first time this season. We talked all week about the Sun Belt Conference and 1 through 14 on any given night. Any team can win. Just emphasizing how important every single possession is. I've seen a lot of growth, especially in <clears> – well, I've seen a lot of growth across the board in regards to this team where if we get hit in the mouth, we don't fold. We play with some poise. And uh, real proud of the team because of the start. We didn't have a great start. We, we gave up uh, nine of the first 11 uh, field goals to App, and we were still able to hold on and be able to bounce back and then put uh, some, some, some of our own runs, uh, especially in that second half. They were up 30-19 to 19 with 5.56 left in the first half, and then Tyron made the back-to-back -back threes. From there, it just seemed like for much of the rest of the game, you guys were in control. But how did you allow your defense to start to click when the offense was making shots in the first half? Well, I think we settled in. You know, we were able to not, not, not gamble. Um, I, I think once we ended up settling in and played to more of our principles, we, we showed effort later in the half, but we, we had to play with our principles night in, night out. And I thought that, that that came through, especially in the the second half of the of the first half, that, that second ten or second ten minutes. Um, and then from an offensive standpoint, guys playing unselfish, no matter what we run, if they play unselfish and they move the basketball, great things are going to happen. We'll get to the final couple of possessions next, but the blocks that Caden had, two of them in the second half, including the one that got wedged between the rim and the glass, Kamari's sweeping block, which kept you in front. To meet the moment, to meet the intensity of the moment to make plays like that, what's it mean as head coach? Well, I look at those players. They, they paid the price. You know, they paid their dues. They've gone through this league, and they made some really big plays when the time mattered, especially on the defensive end. But across the board, guys are, you know, playing to their roles and having the ability to, to really buy into the overall team concept. So that's why I'm extremely proud of them to be able to pull a win on the road. Dustin Kearns calls his final timeout with 11 seconds left. You had to think that – at worst, you were going to get a chance to do if App, at minimum, tied the game or took the lead. So when that timeout got called, what's the talk in the huddle about trying to cover a number of different bases? So we didn't want to give up a three for sure. We wanted to be able to switch five ways. Uh, they got a quality shot right around the rim. Give credit to App to being able to execute. We thought it had, would have the ability to go to you know, Boykin or, or Gregory because Gregory and Boykin are really good players. Yeah. Uh, they went inside. They were able to make the easy basket. Um, had a little bit of resistance, but we didn't give up a three, and then we were able to go in transition, you know, give the ball to Jalen Finch and then get out of his way. And he made a really good play down the stretch, being able to get all the way to the rim. We really focus in practice in those situations to be able to try to put pressure on the rim and get a good shot. From there, a four-hour bus ride followed to Harrisonburg, Virginia for the first-ever matchup against the James Madison Dukes inside the Atlantic Union Bank Center. And, of course, a reunion of sorts between the Strickland brothers, Georgia Southern's Ty, JMU's Terrell, and former head coach Mark Byington as the Eagles faced him for the first time when he was wearing the purple and gold. It also marked the first time in program history that Georgia Southern was facing a former head coach as a new head coach at a different school. Dukes had come in struggling, losing three straight and really having a difficult time from downtown, but things came together for them on Saturday night. They made 11 of 20 from three-point territory, shot 55% overall, and held off numerous Georgia Southern charges during the second half as part of an 83-71 to victory. Now, because Georgia Southern fell, they were still 4-2 in conference play, but now in a six-way tie for first place at 4-2. 
Funny thing is, there's three more teams that are at 3-3. Three and three. So nine out of the 14 teams in conference are within a game of first three weekends into Sunbelt play. They do call it the Fun Belt for a reason. This weekend, though, Georgia Southern plays back-to-back home games. Thursday night, they've got ULM in Hander Fieldhouse. 7 o'clock is the tip-off. As part of Student Appreciation Night, first 1,000 students will get a free T-shirt. You'll also have a chance to putt for a car courtesy of Gerard Pre-Owned Vehicles. If a student makes a putt, $10,000 will go towards the purchase of a new automobile. And then Saturday afternoon, it doesn't get much bigger than Southern Knot State. 3 p.m. the tip-off, 2.30 the airtime for the Cutwater Spirits Countdown to tip-off. And Saturday, it's the annual whiteout with the first 1,000 students receiving a rally towel. It's also putt for a scholarship brought to you by Synovus. And we'll see if the Eagles can snap that three-game skid against the Panthers going back to the end of the 2020 season. 7 o'clock against ULM on Thursday, 3 o'clock against Georgia State on Saturday. And fans, a reminder, those are the only two home games you'll get the next three weeks. Men's basketball in the middle of a stretch that sees them play six out of eight on the road. They'll be away from Statesboro each of the following two weekends as we get into the month of February. So make sure you get your tickets now. 1-800-GSU-WINS or gseagles.com slash tickets. First place Georgia Southern at home twice this weekend. And we promised you more Georgia Southern football. We're going to talk more Georgia Southern football because there was a pretty large announcement that took place early last week. A rightful honor indeed for a former leader of this proud program. We'll cover that next on Inside Eagle Nation. Eagle Nation, don't miss this week's episode of Blue White Weekly, your weekly look inside Georgia Southern Athletics. Friday, 4 p.m. on Valley Sports Southeast and Saturday, 11.30 a.m. on WJCL. Hear exclusive interviews, catch up on highlights, and get primed for the weekend ahead. Check your local listings for Blue White Weekly, your weekly look inside Georgia Southern Athletics. Friday, 4 p.m. on Valley Sports Southeast and Saturday, 11.30 a.m. on WJCL. Georgia Southern men's basketball is hunting for its first Sunbelt Conference Championship. At Eagle Nation, we need you to pack Hanner Fieldhouse. The Eagles host ULM Thursday at 7 and Georgia State Saturday at 3 on Alumni Day. Watch the Blue and White take care of the Warhawks and be there for Southern, not State, this weekend. For tickets, call 1-800-GSU-WINS or order online at gseagles.com slash tickets. Georgia Southern Basketball, get your tickets now. And, of course, major news coming out early last week. Paul Johnson earning induction into the 2023 class of the College Football Hall of Fame. We know what his accomplishments were in Statesboro. First as an assistant coach from 83 through 86, part of back-to-back national championship teams, but then coming back in 1997 to lead the program. Ten wins in year one after a 4-7 and seven season in 1996. Five consecutive Southern Conference championships two national championships in 1999 and 2000. He was the Eddie Robinson National Coach of the Year in 1998 and the AFCA Division I AA Coach of the Year in 1999 and 2000. From there, six years at the Naval Academy, which included five consecutive years of at least eight wins, and then 11 years at Georgia Tech, which included four Coastal Division championships and an Orange Bowl victory in 2014 to go along with an 11-3 campaign and a number seven final national ranking. Deserved, to say the least, but Paul Johnson to be inducted into this year's class of the College Football Hall of Fame. To go a little bit deeper on Coach's accomplishments, We thought we would share some conversations we had from those 
who played for him and worked with him. First up, quarterback J.R. Revere was a two-sport standout at Georgia Southern, but led the Eagles to the 2000 National Championship over Montana and led the team in 2001 back to the semifinals. But it was the story about how Paul Johnson got him to Statesboro that's really something to remember. And so Coach Johnson calls me. And he's like, hey, listen, I'm a, you know, my name's Paul Johnson. I'm, I'm going to send a guy down there. Um, I'm like, yeah, I already bet him. He's like, no, 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 not Coach Munkin. <laughs> it's going to be another guy. And I'm like, okay. I'm just like, whatever. And then I remember my dad and Coach Madu, my dad comes into the office. Now, I never forget this, Danny. He says, uh, he says, he says, John, talking to my father, he says, John, you'll never believe who Georgia Southern is sending down here to come see JR. And my dad goes, who? And, and keep in mind, I'm I'm in the room. They're talking like I'm not there. And I'm, I'm just kind of listening like, God, Georgia Southern, why, why don't they just give up? I'm not interested in going there. And, and, my, and, and Coach Purdue goes, Tracy Ham. They're sending Tracy Ham down here to see JR. And my dad goes, are you serious? I mean, they're both talking like, holy crap, Tracy Helm is coming to Ju- look. Are you serious? This man, do you know who that is? And I'm like, no, I have no idea who Tracy Helm is, you know. And so uh, Tracy Helm comes, walks into the office, and he's wearing his big old ring. And it was at that point, Danny, that I said, okay, he's got my attention. Like, I hadn't seen anybody wear a national championship ring come and run, try to recruit me. I'm like, all right, I'm, you know, I'm listening now. Former Eagle head coach and current Army head coach Jeff Munkin, a special kind of fondness for Paul Johnson. Not just for his massive offensive mind, but the kind of leader he was to take Georgia Southern to the heights he ultimately did. So I GA'd for Paul in 89 and 90. Uh, Bob Wagner was the head coach at, at, uh, at Hawaii, and that was my first job right out of college. Very, very fortunate to have an opportunity to go there and, and work with Paul Johnson obviously because of what he's done and, and who he became as a head coach. Uh, but I was there two years, and I GA'd at Arizona State for a year. As a young coach, that's how it worked. You just kind of bounced around trying to, trying to make your way. I was at Buffalo for three years. I was, at, uh, I was a head coach at a high school in Illinois for a year. And Paul, as we kind of were following, was, was involved in the Georgia Southern job. That 96 season was coming to a close. And Paul got the job. He called me and, and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be the head coach at Georgia Southern. You want to join me? And I said, yes. I think this was on a Monday uh, before Thanksgiving. And I said, when do you want me to be there? He said, can you be there this weekend? I packed my stuff that day, gave my notice that I was going to be uh, taking another job. And I was there the Friday morning after Thanksgiving. Uh, I drove to uh, Meadowview, Virginia, and picked up Ray Gregory, who was also joining the staff. And I spent the night at, uh, at Ray's house, oh, I guess maybe on Wednesday evening before Thanksgiving. I think I spent Thanksgiving with, with Ray and then drove to Statesboro. We were there on, on Friday morning, ready to go. And John Pate and Rusty Russell and Mike Seawalk and Giff Smith and all of us were there. Paul was preparing for the, for the Army-Navy game. We got a plan together and went out recruiting actually that next week before Paul ever came to Statesboro and we were already off to the races. So tremendous honor for me. And and, uh, I was so excited. And I came on as the lowest paid assistant back then there were, I think there were seven full-time assistants maybe and four limited earnings coaches or something like that. 
And it didn't matter to me. He, he didn't have to pay me a dollar. I, I was just so excited to join that program and, and come to Statesboro and, and, and be a part of Paul Johnson's staff. So that's how I ended up there. And fortunately, it worked out for me. How did you guys hit so many home runs recruiting? And why was that offense so tough to stop? One reason it was tough to stop was because of Paul Johnson. He, I think, is one of the best play callers in college football. And to be able to balance being the play caller that he is and be a head coach is, is really difficult. And I tried that when I became the head coach at Georgia Southern because I watched Paul do it for all those years. I thought that's what you were supposed to do and realize what a difficult job that is. But he was just a tremendous play caller. Our first year there, we had some talented football players. There was there were some outstanding football players on that team, and I think it was more just the motivation that that Paul led that program with. He he motivated everybody to want to do their job really well and maximize who they could be. And those kids latched on to him and and his message. and And so that first year, we probably overachieved in the eyes of people who had seen the program the year before. And I think Georgia Southern had gone four and seven. And to turn that around so quickly, I think that it's just Paul's leadership. Paul Johnson developed a special attachment to Eagle Nation and Georgia Southern University during his separate stints with the program. But how exactly did he create an offense that few had seen before? Well, it was simple. Start with Tracy Ham. They had run some option and some run and shoot principles, and we just tried to take it and, and really tried to build it around Tracy. He was a dynamic player, and he just had this – knack and ability that he could see the whole field and you know he could do whatever you ask him to do he probably didn't hold the football correctly to throw it but he could throw it he understood defenses he could come out and tell you what was going on you know mixed in with the option and throwing the ball at times I mean I remember in the 85 national championship game he threw for over 400 yards you know we could kind of do whatever we needed to do how did it work with you calling plays in 85 and 86 most of the time, Coach Russell didn't even wear a headset. Roger Inman, who was the equipment manager, would have the headset. And sometimes he'd relay the plays to Coach Russell. And and it was funny, a couple of times, Roger would go, what's the play, what's the play? And I'd just mess with him. I'd make something up. And R- Roger would go, he'd tell Coach Russell that, and he'd tell Roger, tell them guys to knock that off, you know, or whatever. But, you know, he he kind of let us do what we needed to do on offense. He didn't get too involved. I remember one time, though, you talk about a story. We're playing – in 85, we'd lost to Middle Tennessee State at home. They were the number one ranked team, and we ended up playing them in the playoffs. And we're up there, and short yardage we used to get in the power eye. And at the end of the game – we were ahead pretty much the whole game, and they started coming back. And we had a chance to end the game from about the 40-yard line. It was fourth and one. And Coach Russell got on the headset, and he goes, I want to run set right 46, which was out of the power high, right? I'm like, well, Coach, I think we can sneak it and get the first down because they were in a split six if we just stay. And he goes, I said I want to run set right 46. I'm like, okay. So I said, put Tracy on the headset so – well, he handed him the headset, and I said, all right, Trace, we got set right 46. He goes, okay, got it. And so he went out and snapped the ball and sneaked it for first down. And I thought Coach Russell was going to go crazy. <laughs> and thankfully, Tracy came to the sideline and said, no, Coach, he called set right 46, but he's always taught us if nobody was covering the center, we could get the first down just to get it. <laughs> and that was kind of funny. That's the only time I think Irk really ever heavily got involved. One other time early in the year, 
we had a third and 20 or something at Chattanooga and we were in field goal range and I was going to run the option and just kind of get the ball in the middle of the field. And he, we just run a screen pass for about 15 yards. We'd had a bunch of penalties to back us up and he goes, I want to run the screen again. I said, coach, I don't think we want to run the screen again. He goes, I said, I want to run the screen again. So we called the screen. They end up sacking us for about a 15 yard loss. And he got on the headset and he goes, if I ever try to call another play, you tell me go straight to hell. He said, <laughs> I just started laughing. Remember, Paul was around for the days of Womack Field and the first game of Paulson Stadium back in 1984. But he surely remembers that bus ride over to the stadium. Those kids came up with a Valley song. As soon as we would hit where Dingus McGee's was, they would start singing the Valley song. By the time we got to Paulson to get out of the bus to walk to the locker, I mean, that bus was rocking. You were afraid it was going to turn over. It was going upside down with the players and all that. And that was kind of a new thing for me and a new tradition. In fact, when I went back as the head coach, you know, I told the guys, I said, look, I said, we're going to get some nice buses to go over to the stadium. We don't have to use those yellow school buses anymore. And we'll do that. And uh, a bunch of the seniors came in to me and, after the first game, and they go, Coach, can, can we get our buses back? I go, you want those yellow school buses? And they go, yeah. So we get we got them back for them. It was really important to them. And with all the hard work and dedication that it took to give Georgia Southern a shot to be one of the premier programs in all of college football, bringing a national championship back to Statesboro was oh so special, considering what he had learned from Irk Russell. When we landed in Savannah, see all the people there and, and everything going on, it was uh, – I don't know that anyone could have thought that would happen in 1983 when I went there and we were playing at Womack Field over in Statesboro High. So it was just a uh, surreal feeling, and and you saw the pride the community had in it. And people talk about Irk being a great coach, and he was a good coach. But his biggest skill set was being able to bring people together. He had that innate ability that he could rally people around. Everybody thought he was this hard, gruff, tough dude, and he was exactly the opposite. The four years I was there coaching for him, I don't think we ever had a player who who didn't love him or care for him. Or That's hard to do. It's unbelievable. And, of course, the fan base loved him and the community and everybody around. Hall of Fame coach Paul Johnson. Eagle Nation, that has a nice ring to it. When we come back from this timeout, we'll talk a little bit of Georgia Southern baseball with new hitting coach Cody Wofford. You're listening to Inside Eagle Nation. Morris Bank is proud to be the Georgia Southern football season presenting sponsor. We've got a lot of Eagles on our team, so we know what it means to bleed blue. Believe, lead, understand, and excel are our principles which Morris Bank was built. Even though things are constantly changing, our commitment to our customers is stronger than ever. Just like the family feel of Georgia Southern, we still say hello when you walk into any of our locations. Because Morris Bank hasn't forgotten that our customers and communities are what it's really all about. And that's what we mean when we say it pays to bank blue. Morris Bank, member FDIC. Back with more of this week's Inside Eagle Nation podcast over at J.I. Clement Stadium, about a month away from the start of the 2023 season as Georgia Southern welcomes in the West Virginia Mountaineers. feel like we need to reintroduce Eagle Nation to our guest because he was here, went away, but now he is back, full-time hitting coach, entering year one back at Statesboro. Cody Wofford is with us, and Wofford, I was pretty excited to hear that you had gotten the chance to come back and be the program's hitting coach. Of course, you spent a year and a half here, 2019, and then the COVID year 
of 2020. But simply, how does it feel to be back under a program that's led by Rodney Hennon now in his 24th season? Dano, thanks for having me, man. Always excited to get to sit down and talk with you and definitely fired up to be back. Coming off of last year for these guys, you know, and kind of watching from a distance and getting to see what they had done, you know, a lot of momentum and, and getting back with Coach Hennon and you know, I, I know how good of a human being he is, one, and then, you know, also how good of a coach he was. You know, I was just excited and honored for him to give me the call. Again, with the hype behind it, being in this position, just it, it fired up to be back. You were part of a renaissance a year ago at Eastern Kentucky. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But to know that you could be back here in a role where you could really impact the student-athlete, how empowering is that? It's huge, you know, and it's something that I'm looking to, to have, you know, as a coach and, and moving forward. You know, ultimately, I think that's kind of the direction you want to go. You know, I had a, a really good opportunity at Eastern Kentucky to work with Coach Prothrow and Walt Jones um, over there and learned a ton. But again, you know, I think being able to get in this position and, and kind of you know, kind of have the reins to an offense and, and be the hitting coach is a huge honor again. It's something you're looking to do in, in moving forward in this uh, profession. You, of course, helped out Alan Beck in the year plus that you were here during your first stint. What kind of things did you learn from him before he went to go be the head coach at his alma mater in Western Carolina? Man, being with him, you know, honestly, I, I think from a hitting perspective, allowed me to, to learn a lot. Being with him day by day and seeing how he handled things, his philosophies, and, and getting to assist him you know, from day to day was pivotal as far as you know, my growth as a coach and you know, my own philosophies. A, a lot of what I do as a hitting coach comes from him and, and getting to see it firsthand. All right, back in 2019 as the first base coach, one thing that Colin and I always talked about was how much gear that you would personally wear if there were big innings, whether there was batting gloves, Evo shields, shed guards, whatever it was, you would look like a sporting goods store if Georgia Southern was putting together a big inning. Is that just something that you naturally did, or did you see somebody else do that and you just decided to do that too? I think that's kind of the way that the, the game works. You know, obviously it's a credit to Coach Beck and the hitters because obviously they, they, they've got to be on first base or second base for me to get that gear. I think it's it's just kind of what you have to do just, just to save time. Before we get into the nuts and bolts, I want to go back to the beginning because a lot of people may not realize you're a Georgia boy. McDonough went to Ola High School, part of a really special team back in 2011, went to the Elite Eight for the first time in school history. How does a season like that, before you even got a chance to go to college, how does a year like that help confirm your love for the game? That time span and, and that area of baseball that, that we played, there was a lot of really good players, you know, and I was fortunate to, to play for a coach. Uh, Coach Pareko, who who really knew how to run a club. So I was fortunate to get to see how that looked. Um, then I played alongside of a, a bunch of really good players themselves that wanted to win, was, you know, super competitive. A lot of them had the chance to play at the next level, too. So, you know, always getting to be around top-notch talent, guys that are looking to grow with you, I think it's a good experience. And then also kind of from a distance, it was a player's perspective, but you get to see how things are run. And I think when you're paying attention, you can always kind of take some things away that you like. And, and there's some things, obviously, that you dislike and, and that you wouldn't do, but, you know, growing up, and getting to play at Ola High School for Coach Pareko was awesome, and there was a lot of really good things to take away from him. How did you learn what it took to win? You know, I, I think being around a lot of good people. I was very fortunate growing up to play for a lot of great coaches. A lot of them were buddies' dads, but, you know, they kind of instilled that competitive nature, always wanting to compete, 
was number one. And then the area of McDonough at that time had a lot of really good players. And I think when you play around a, a lot of good players like that, you just want to grow and, and try to stand out. Having that competitive edge amongst a bunch of other guys that, that were you know trying to do the same thing was, was huge for me as a player. Ended up going to Western Kentucky, played for Coach Myers. That's where we overlapped, but we didn't really know it back in 2015. You were the starting shortstop that year. I was with the Bowling Green Hot Rods. We actually called a game where you played the Hot Rods. One of my first few days in town, but to think about how those college years continued to form, not just who you were as a player, a potential coach, but also a person. What was so special about that time in Bowling Green? When you look back at that era, I think getting to play for a really good coaching staff with Coach Myers heading it up, um, I was fortunate to, to kind of learn and be around him and see what it looked like. Play with a lot of really good players as well. And being in that program allowed me to, to grow. He taught me so many good things that, that I carry on today as well. But yeah, it was, it was a really good experience for me. You know, a lot of the growth led to, to where I'm at now. When did this coaching bug bite you? And ultimately, I, I wanted to play pro ball. That was my dream and goal. And, and then I wasn't able to, to make that happen. And as soon as that ended, you know, I was a little sour for, for a little bit, went back home and ended up giving some lessons for a few months. But, you know, I, I was like, man, I, I want to get into this. And I had a buddy, Davis Knapp, who was at South Alabama, played there for Mark Calvey. We actually played junior college together at Darton State Community College. And he, he went on and played for Mark at, at South Alabama. He also didn't have the opportunity to play pro ball. So he turned into a, a graduate assistant and was kind of filling me in on, on what that looked like the day to day. And it seemed like it was a really good place to be if you wanted to be a coach. You know, I was fortunate enough to kind of hop on over there with them. Anybody that has watched either of these two programs, whether you're talking about Coach Hennon with Georgia Southern or Coach Calvey with South Alabama, highly unconventional head coaches, but highly successful head coaches. What, though, do you take from Coach Calvey that you can still feel yourself telling guys now? I think as a whole, he's just, he's a really good human, but I think he really knows how to gauge a room. You know, I think he's, he's, he can handle a team, understands how the mood is. Um, like I said, he can read a room. It's, it's incredible the connection he has with those guys. And I think it's extremely powerful when a coach like that understands what guys are going through and can manage it the way he does. I've got to think that you developed a fondness for Georgia Southern during that 2017 Sunbelt Conference Tournament played right here at J.I. Clemens Stadium. We know the story by now, the rain, forcing single elimination, the two teams meet in the championship, and for, I guess, everybody that was watching or that was here personally, one of the best games that they had ever seen. You were, of course, an assistant for South Alabama and had a chance to watch them walk off and win the title, but to be at J.I. Clemens that week and see the atmosphere what were you thinking about Georgia Southern baseball at that point? Before we even got to the tournament, we played them in the season and just getting to see them for the first time on the other side of the field, you know, you knew they were scrappy. Man, it, they, they didn't go down without a fight. But man, it was a scary series. Steve Curry, Mason McGuire, all those guys were young and you could tell, you know, moving forward, it, it was going to be a dangerous club. Two years later, 2019, chance to be an assistant coach for Rodney Hennon. Being around him in those early days, how does his program develop the guys that it does? He really instills the right things. It, it's the day-to-day. -day, it's the 1% better. It's the little things that, that go a long way in baseball. And he holds guys accountable to, to making sure that those matter to them. And, and you know, enforces culture and, and the standard that guys want. You know, guys don't come to Georgia Southern to, to just be in a conference championship. They want to be in a regional and so I, th I think that's the mantra here is if we want to do those things, we got to make sure we take care of the little things, um, the little details, and, and try to find a way to get 1% better each day. 
I think a lot about that 2019 season, getting to the championship game again at Coastal Carolina. The team won 35 games. A lot of the guys that you already spoke of a little bit earlier, but to be a part of a championship game wearing two different uniforms, what is a championship Sunday like? Man, uh, one, I, I don't know that I'll ever forget that game. It was, it was tough to be a part of. But, yeah, I, I think going into that game, I, I can remember the, the energy levels of the guys and wanting the moment. Ultimately, it didn't go in our favor. But, you know, I, I think guys were excited to be there, you know, just ready to play. I think Coach Hinnon does a really good job of preparing guys. And Coach Beck did as well, along well with B.J. Green. Those guys were ready to go. And I, I think baseball so hard at times, it just doesn't go your way. But th those guys were prepared, and it was a, it was a great environment uh, to play. It's time to pack your bags, because Savannah Hilton Head International offers nonstop flights to a variety of major cities, including Denver, Miami, New York City, Washington, D.C., Cincinnati, Cleveland, and many more. Eight airlines, 26 nonstop destinations. Savannah Hilton Head International, the official airport of Georgia Southern Athletics. See where the airport can take you at flysav.com. It would have been a second full season in 2020, but as we know, everything got taken away from us after 16 games. It felt like Georgia Southern was on the verge of something special with that 11-5 and start. But to go back to that time in 2020, what do you remember about that year? Right before it ended, right before we got the, the message that we weren't going to play anymore, I, I feel like we were hitting our peak and in stride. We had a really good series with, with UGA, played them at their place, played them at the Pro Park in Augusta. And then, you know, the, right before it shut down, we, we ended up playing them at home. You know, obviously when you get the chance to, to play those guys three times and come out on top, I think, you know, the momentum that you feel and, and the energy around the, the program was in the right direction. So I think, you know, what, what I remember is just having that let's go, let, let's let's get to, to Troy and, and play those guys because they were the, the team that was next. But we were, you know, we, we felt like we were in a really good place. Then you get the opportunity to be a hitting coach for the first time. We already mentioned the two years that you spent at Eastern Kentucky, but to be part of a program that had struggled for years to basically double your win total from 2021 to 2022, what do you feel that you most importantly accomplished during your time there? For me personally, just growth. It was my first opportunity to recruit. I think Coach Pro and and Walt Jones are two of the best in the country. You know, they do a really good job of getting recruits in. You know, so I, I got to grow in that regard. I also got to see what it was like in different situations. The two programs I was at prior kind of had already established themselves as, as winning programs. And then you go to EKU, who, who was a really good, good program themselves, but had some work to do. And so getting to see it on that side was really good for me as a coach and really fortunate to be with Coach Pro and, and get to you know work alongside him and Coach Jones and just learn what it looks like. I think on the hitting side, Coach Jones and I tag team, he was the head guy, but you know getting to, to be with the the hitters day by day and having a plan and understanding what all that looked like and having that type of role was huge for me. What does it take to be a good recruiter? I think, one, you got to love the place you're at. And I think if you have that love for the place, you understand there's a lot to offer. You know, as a baseball coach, you got to you know, see the talent when you're on the road. But I think being able to, to get a kid into campus, work tirelessly on, on having them on the phone and getting them to that point, but then also selling your university. And, you know, both, well, all three places that I have been, although I didn't recruit at South Alabama or Georgia Southern prior, EKU alongside those two other schools were, is an easy sell. Really good campus, nice facilities, and unreal coaching staff as well. The 2022 Eagles season came up briefly a little bit earlier, and to 
see a program win 41 games, host a regional for the first time ever. It's one thing to be here. It's another thing to still be vested in the program, but watching it from afar. And now with six of those regulars back for the 2023 season, the expectations are higher. But the road has led you back here to lead these guys. And for some of them, like I know Ledford, you worked with them before. How do you lean on someone like that to guide the rest of the offense? When you have as much experience as some of those older guys do, you don't have to do so much coaching. You know, they, they've done it themselves for three plus years. So they know what it looks like and they understand what they need to be doing. I, I think, you know, my job is to challenge those guys. The league isn't getting any easier. We're adding some really good teams into the Sun Belt, but. I want to make sure that they're prepared for when we play those guys. You know, when we play Southern Miss and their Friday night arm is 92 to 94 with a really good slider, I, I don't want them to go in there not prepared for that. So just having a, a way to challenge them and make sure that they're ready to go, I think is the biggest thing. Most would say that a hitting coach is just worried about what the bat does to the ball. But what else do you have to do as a hitting coach? There's a lot of different things. You know, I think one, you know, we have a bunch of different resources now, way different than when I was a player. You know, we, we have Synergy, which is huge. You know, you get to see a video of guys that you're about to play. You know, there's some numbers that you can get off of that. There's some other resources that, that we use um, to see some different things, footage, numbers, all that good stuff. But, you know, getting prepared as far as that goes, and then also making the environment that they're going into challenging. I, I think, you know, you look back to when I played and hitting off a machine wasn't as prevalent, but I think now you can see that getting to do stuff like that, hitting off a machine and, and creating that velocity where it's similar to something that you're going to see on a weekend series is, is huge. And then also, again, you know, the, these guys that we're playing, they got players on scholarship too. So they're going to be able to throw a fastball that's plus plus and mix in a slider. So, you know, challenging those guys and finding ways to, to throw some spin at them so they, they, they're not thrown off guard when we go in there on a Friday night and, and different things like that too. You know, it, it's definitely not just see ball, hit ball, but I think trying to create that environment to where they know it's going to be hard and, and then pushing them to, to find success in that environment. And then also, again, with the resources that we have like, like Synergy and, and True Media and some other things. With all of your experiences, how can you tell when there's a buy-in? You know, I, I think Coach Hinnon does a really good job from, from the jump uh, of creating that culture. But as far as hitting goes, it's understood that baseball's hard and hitting a baseball is maybe probably the toughest thing to do in all of sports. Letting them understand that failure is okay and, and that, you know, we're going to challenge them, but we want them to, to push and compete and find a way to, to, to be on the other side, even though the re results might not be there. And I think when you see guys come in and understand that, you can kind of tell it in their body language, the way that they're moving around and, and going from day to day. What represents success for Georgia Southern in 2023? I think this is an extremely tough group. Um, I, I think they will lean on each other. I think they're not only tough, but they're together. They're a unit that, that kind of leans on each other. It seems like they're a very close-knit group. And I think as long as it, they stay the course, like Coach Hannon preaches day in and day out, getting 1% better and, and keep that, that mindset to compete and, and win each day, I, I think that's, that's what's going to bring the success to us. It all starts one month from now when West Virginia comes to Statesboro, the first of what hopes to be somewhere around a 60-game journey for Georgia Southern Baseball. Cody Wofford, it is great to have you back in town. Even better to have you as an Eagle. Appreciate the time. We'll talk a little bit later on this year. Thanks for having me, Dano. More Inside Eagle Nation right after this. You trained for this all year. Endless hours of cardio, conditioning, and weights. And now you are ready. Ready to trek back to your seat from the concession stand. 
through the lines, lost fans, and that mascot who wants you to do a little dancey dance, all without spilling a drop of your ice-cold Bud Light. Welcome back to Football Sports Fans. Thanks again to Cody Wofford, J.R. Revere, and Jeff Munkin for their time this week, and congratulations one more time to former head coach Paul Johnson to be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. This weekend, women's basketball was on the road Thursday at James Madison. 7 p.m. will be the tip-off Saturday afternoon at ULM, 3 o'clock tip from Fanduin Coliseum. While the men are at home, there are only two home games during this eight-game stretch in conference play. Thursday, 7 o'clock tip against those ULM Warhawks will be live at 6.30. And then Southern Knot State on Saturday. On the air at 2.30, 3 p.m. the tip. It is a whiteout on Saturday. And remember this week, students, first thousand through the doors on Thursday, get a t-shirt. First thousand through the doors on Saturday, get a rally towel. And be in attendance to take part in the putt for dough. Whether you're looking for a new vehicle from Gerard Pre-Owned Vehicles or money towards a scholarship courtesy of Synovus, we will see you at Hanner Fieldhouse this weekend. Folks, we enjoyed it. We'll talk to you next week. Until then, this is Danny Reed, and you've been listening to Inside Eagle Nation. You've been listening to Inside Eagle Nation, powered by Learfield, the official podcast of Georgia Southern Athletics. 